Today we start with Psalm 22. We've covered a number of different psalms over the last few weeks. And um, Psalm 22 is a very unique psalm in the psalms. So if we go into the New Testament, because as New Testament believers, we believe that the New Testament is also inspired, so we're going to spend... We always want to look back, look forward to what the New Testament teaches. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John... In my Bible, they're actually titled The Gospel According to Matthew. The Gospel According to Luke. The Gospel According to John. Well, Psalm 22 is the Gospel According to David. Um, I've heard this a couple of times in the, the reading that I've done this week, that so many different commentators on Psalm 22 call this the gospel according to David. Think about it. Did Matthew personally experience everything that he wrote about? No, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things down about the life of Christ. And David is no different. David is no different. So as we go through this, as we said, this is kind of more of a meditation on Psalms. Because so you're basically sitting in with my time in the in Psalm 22 as I meditate through Psalm 22. So that's kind of how uh, we're trying to take this. So we start Psalm 22 with the absolute saddest utterance any human being could ever make. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, one thing about Psalm 22 is. There are 16 direct references to Psalm 22 in the New Testament, specifically in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are numerous other allusions to Psalm 22 in Hebrews, in Isaiah, and in other books. And I'm going to point those out as we go. But this first sentence is in Matthew chapter 27 and Mark 15. And we can't, let's not move past this. Because every word here is important. My God, my God. And this is, this entire, this entire psalm is Jesus speaking. We talked about that at the beginning that the psalms are, have its, have its, its cultural context when it was written. And there are some things in this that we could attribute to David. But ultimately, it's in Christ. All of the Psalms ultimately are fulfilled through Christ. And this Psalm is most adamantly only fulfilled in Christ. And then there is a application perspective of how this song applies to us. So we are going to spend today on that second one, that this is Christ's words. This is Christ speaking. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even in that moment on the cross in Matthew and in Mark. When forsaken was a fact. Not a possibility. Why have you forsaken me? It was a fact. He was forsaken in that moment. In that moment of being forsaken... He didn't lose perspective of who was in charge. God was in charge. And he says it twice. He uses 
He uses the Hebrew word El here, which means the mighty one, the all-powerful one is in charge here. But notice what's before that. My God. My God. So yes, it's the all-powerful one, but it's, he's, he's mine. You remember from Psalm 139 last week that he holds us in his hand. Jesus, even in this moment of forsaken, didn't forget that God was his father. In this moment of being forsaken, uh, my God, my God, why? Why? This is, there's two ways to ask why. The first way is the accusing, blaming, why are you doing this? And that is not what Christ is doing. It's the lost child longing for the father to come back. Why? Why are you afflicting me of all people in this? Why? Have, I just mentioned, this is what is, did happen, is happening in that moment. God did forsake him in that moment. You, I can understand Judas forsaking me. I can understand Peter forsaking me, but not my father, my loving, the one I've spent eternity with forsaking me. Why have you forsaken, turned your back on, deserted, left me destitute in this moment? Why have you done this to to me? The perfect the innocent, the one who has kept the law for 33 years that no human being has been able to do, who has lived perfectly. I have pleased the Father 100% of the time for 33 years. Why are you doing this to me? You have to understand that. He's the only one that can say that. We can't say that. We haven't lived perfectly for a minute, let alone 33 years. Continue in verse 1. Far from my salvation are the words of my groaning. The Hebrew word for groaning, we, we tend to think of groaning, oh. The Hebrew word is roaring. The sorrow is spilling out of him. It's a roar. Oh my God, see, he still hasn't let go of the fact of who God is in this. Oh my God, I call by day. The, some of the versions read, I cry by day, and you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Some of us have felt that way. No matter how often I pray, no matter how often I cry, there's no answer. Christ in the garden. Three times he prayed that the cup be taken away. And was he answered? Well, technically, yes, he was answered, but not the answer that he was praying for. He was asking for the cup to be taken away, and God said, no. For some of us, it's the same thing. We don't get what we pray for, so we think God is not answering. 
because he didn't answer the way we wanted it answered. Even in our sleep, uh, there's, when there's no sleep and you can't rest and you continue to cry to God and it seems like there's no answer. We feel the same way, but look what Christ says in verse 3. Yet, <laughs> yet, you are holy. Enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers, catch it, says it three times. In you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you rescued them. To you, they cried out and were granted escape. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. Even in the garden, even with the prayers that weren't being answered in the moment, the way he was, his humanness was wanting it to be answered, he trusted that his God would provide that escape. Not the escape that he was asking, but the escape that God wanted for him. And then verse 6, 7, and 8 comes back. And we, we hear, we see Isaiah show up. We see quotings in Matthew, two different places, Mark and Luke show up. But I am a worm. How many, uh, how many other places in Scripture talk as man being a worm, Right? Um, we are low, and what happens to a worm? They wiggle around, and when they get stepped on, they get squished, right? Um, but even God, even Christ sees himself as lower than that. I am a worm and not a man. A reproach of men and despised by the people, Isaiah 53.3. Matthew 2.23, it talks about Jesus Going to live in Nazareth and being called a Nazarene. Now, what a dirty thing to be called in, 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 in that time that, that you were called somebody who was a Nazarene. That was a scoffing name. And, and here in, in David's writing, he's telling us that's what's going to happen. All who see me mock me. There's a future sense in this Hebrew word. This is going to happen. And think about Christ's life, 33 years. Once he started his ministry specifically, well, he, he is called a Nazarene in chapter 2 of Matthew. So you know that Nazarene name kind of followed him for 30 years that we don't know anything about that first 30 years. But you under, you've read the Gospels. You know how they mocked him over and over and over again. The, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, from the beginning of his ministry to the end, sta- sitting on the cross and standing in front of him and still mocking him. They smacked their lips. They wagged their heads saying, and this is directly a quotation from Mark 15 and Luke 23. Commit yourself to Yahweh. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him because he delights in him. A direct quote from Matthew 27. But think about it. That, they were mocking him with that. But do you hear the truth in that? Commit yourself to Yahweh. Let yourself roll with Yahweh. That's the Hebrew meaning in that. And isn't that what he's done? Even in the suffering, even in the garden, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Oh my God, yet you are holy. Even through all of this, he's still rolling with God. He, he has committed himself to God. In their mocking, they spoke truth. Because he did delight in him, and he did delight in him. 
Verse 9 and 10. Yet. Remember, he was a worm, not a man. Yet. You are he who brought me out of the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast before from birth, and you have been my God from my mother's womb. Is it ringing bells, folks? Psalm 139, right? Last week. It's David using, it's some of that that's continuous that, that we see throughout the rest of the Psalms coming back. And you know what's interesting? Matthew 1, Luke chapter 1, the discussion of Jesus in Mary's womb. Direct connection to the Gospels. Verse 11, be not far from me, for distress is near me. Kind of an understatement, yeah? For there is none to help. There is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. Bashan was a place um, across the river in Israel where they herded bulls. They herded cow, cattle. And it was a good place to herd cattle. They made strong cattle there. This is a reference to what David knew in that moment. The fact that the horns on those cattle, because they were so strong and so built up, would tear you up. They open wide their mouth at me as a lion who that tears and roars. References to his enemies as being bulls of Bashan and lions. Remember what Satan called? The lion seeking whom to, they were, who he will devour. His enemies as bulls and lions. And what does he get this picture in your mind? Bulls and lions surrounding him. And he is the Lamb of God. Verse 14. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. Think of this, the the pouring out of water. What happens with water when you pour it out on the ground? That it just it just kind of goes everywhere. Wax as it melts and runs down and pours off the candle. That his heart has become that. That his bones are out of joint joint. Think think back to the the cross. On the cross. The physical torment that he was put through. Not one bone was broken. But you can guarantee that some of the joints were out. The pulling from the arms. The trying to push up from the feet. Verse 15. My strength is dried up like a pot surd. And my tongue cleaves to my jaw. I'm going to stop there for a second. The idea between a pot surd or a pot shard... Uh, is the, the clay is stuck into a fire to dry it out, to get rid of the moisture. Moisture is a sign of life. So it's getting rid of the moisture, and through that, that process, there's heat being applied. Think of the candle wax melting. And think about it. When you're stressed, when you're discouraged, when life is difficult, when sickness is upon you and your mouth is dry and you feel like your tongue is sticking to your roof. That's what he's talking about. You lay me in the dust of death. It hasn't even come yet, but he knows that's where he's headed. 
for dogs have surrounded me. So now the enemies were bulls and lions, and now they're dogs. And we're not talking about Murphy, right? The, the little cute little dog that can't hear you, but would love to sit and, 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 and take food from you. We're talking about wild dogs that will tear you apart simply because they're looking for something to eat. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. Think of the cross. Who was around him? People shouting vile curses, the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Roman soldiers surrounding the cross, watching what's going on. They pierced my hands and feet. Now, this is not ever really discussed in the Gospels as, as a poet. That phrase is never used. However, the process of crucifixion, the piercing of the hands and the feet, right? But think of this. This, this psalm was written about, 10, about 1,000 B.C., uh, depending on who you talk to, 1,058, 1,060 B.C. So about 1,000 years before Christ, okay? Rome didn't become a nation until 753 B.C., about 250 years later. Um. The Persians created crucifixion in the 6th century B.C., so about 600 B.C. The Persians created crucifixion. Alexander the Great brought it to the Mediterranean in fourth, the 4th B.C., 4th century B.C., and it wasn't until the 3rd century B.C. that the Phoenicians introduced it to the Romans. So this process of feet being pierced and hands being pierced in David's mind, had nothing, he didn't have a clue what that was in reference to. But a thousand years later, it would be used to crucify our Savior. Verse 17, I count all my bones. Think about the fact that he would have been stretched out to the point where you probably could have counted his bones by looking at him. They all stare at me. And this next verse, verse 18, quoted in every single one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. But even in that moment, in that moment of crucifixion, these things are happening. They're casting lots for his clothes. What does he say? But you, O Yahweh, remember Yahweh, that covenant-keeping name. He's turned to that name. He was, oh my God, my God, at the beginning, and now it's Yahweh, the covenant keeper. But you will not be far off. Oh my strength, strength capitalized, that's what he's calling God. Hasten to my help. Deliver my soul from the sword. My only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion, from the horns of the wild oxen, you, catch it, past tense, have answered me. Do you hear the change? There's sorrow, there's despair, there's lament for 21 verses. And it changes. You have answered me. The resurrection. How do we know? Verse 22. I will surely recount your name to my brothers. Catch this. Hebrews 2.12 says, For consider him, sorry, 
helps if I'm in the right chapter. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's for the end. Hebrews 2.12 For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will recount your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly, in the midst of the assembly, I will sing your praise. Hebrews quotes Psalm 22. Even more interesting, Matthew, John, and Luke. When Jesus is in the garden where the tomb is, and he has risen, what's he say to the women who come to the tomb? Go to my brothers and tell them I have risen. Who are his brothers? And, and we, we were talking about this last night when we were in Luke chapter 8 in, in home group. The, the passage where it says in Luke chapter 8 that his mother and his brothers came and they wanted to see him. And his response was, who are my mother and my brothers? Those who do what I command. We're talking about the, the believers here. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. He's making it public. It's not private. It's for all to see. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you seed of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you seed of Israel. Pam asked me a great question this week. She said, why does he use Jacob and Israel separately in this passage? The whole idea behind the use of Jacob and Israel and assembly here is the gathering of all who believe the true Israel. For he has not despised, verse 24, and he has not abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he Heard. Remember back at the beginning? Why aren't you hearing me? He heard. <laughs> this gets so good. Verse 25. Of you is my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. What vow did Christ make? Do you remember the time that he sat with the disciples before the crucifixion in the upper room, the, the upper room discourse? What promise did he make? God has put you into my hand, and if you're in my hand, you're in the Father's hand, and no one will take you out. His vow is that if you believe in me, no one can take you away from me. That's a vow that he has made to us. The affliction will eat and be satisfied. Doesn't he promise that? Uh, the uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, depending if you're talking about Luke or if you're talking about Matthew. You will be eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him, those who seek him will praise Yahweh. Again, back to that covenant-keeping name. May your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember future tense. All of the ends of the earth will remember and turn to Yahweh. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is Yahweh's and he rules over all the nations. Do you hear? We, we went from, from Christ's life, his suffering in the garden, 
his crucifixion, his resurrection. Now we're looking forward. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. So all the rich people will be involved. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. All those who are poor will be involved. Even he who cannot keep his own soul alive. That's all of us, folks. Nobody can keep their own soul alive. (coughs) Their seed will serve him. Now, this is interesting. It will be recounted about the Lord to the coming generation. Different word. God used throughout this Hebrew word El, the mighty one, the powerful one. Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. Lord, Adonai, in the Hebrew. Meaning, the controller, the owner, the master, the sovereign. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done it. I want to close with Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand on the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary, fainting in heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Psalm 22. Um, It's such a dark chapter at the beginning. And to think that the only reason that he had to do this was because of our sin. That the only reason that he was forsaken was because of us. Yet he chose to be obedient, to die on the cross. And you did hear him. You raised him from the dead so that we can look to Christ who has perfected our faith so that in our difficulties, we don't lose heart. Father, help us to see that and to carry it this week as we go so that when those difficulties come, we don't lose heart. But we are reminded of what Christ did for us in Psalm 22. In Jesus' name, amen.